story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at some things he suffered through, but then seeing what it produced on the back end. Before we dive into that, I wanted to share a story about one of the bravest, uh, most fearless men that I know. That's my brother. You can tell that he's fearless because he's petting a tiger. This is him, him in Thailand. Uh, he's been in all different countries doing crazy things. But the man that you see petting a tiger is actually fearless because he faced a series of of circumstances in his life due to his deafness. My brother and I are really close. I'm fluent in American Sign Language, but I firsthand got to witness a lot of the things he had to experience. But then I I get to see what it's produced in him. Uh, To give an example, uh, I remember being at a food court at the Burbank Mall, and my brother and I, we got our McDonald's. And we, we go and we find a table. We pull out our chicken nuggets and if you eat chicken nuggets, you know, you've got to have the right sauce. My brother didn't like his sauce, and so my mom was with us, and I had seen something for the first time that I would see time and time and time again. My mom instructed him how to go up by himself as probably a 9 or 10-year-old and ask for the sauce that he wanted. Now she kind of explained, you might have to gesture, dipping sauce, or gesture for a pen, and when they give you one, you, you, can, you can write what you want. I remember feeling really confused. Why doesn't my mom go get it for him? I remember sitting there and watching my brother, who's 9 or 10, with the bravest like walk, like he's done it a million times, going straight into the unknown. I remember watching my mom as a parent, hopeful, anxious, but kind of just waiting to see how it was going to play out. He got uh, a pen, and the guy gave him a napkin. He wrote out what he wanted. He got it, and he came back all happy. Now, growing up, there was a lot more circumstances like that that didn't play out as favorably, but really shaped who he was. I'm going to share a story later on, but I want to give some background into the story of Joseph, some context before we dive into the scripture. Joseph was the son of Jacob, and he was one of 12 brothers, so he had probably a really rowdy upbringing. He was Jacob's favorite son, and this was even proven by him receiving a a special coat, um, an ornate coat, that really made him stand out among the brothers. And he had this incredible ability to interpret uh, dreams, and he had this incredible vision. But Altogether, this had really caused some bitterness to surface in the other brothers' hearts. Because it was so evident that the dad, Jacob, had loved Joseph more. And so one day, the brothers are out grazing the flocks, and Joseph is instructed to go out and find them and make sure everything's okay. And then that's where we're going to pick it up in the scripture. If you guys want to turn over to Genesis chapter 37. My point number one is God walks with us through the desert. Starting in chapter 37, verse 17, it says, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brother pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to the father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? You are attacked by your own flesh and blood, and you are sold for what? Really, it comes out to about $200. Your life is worth $200 to your own family. And, you know, the, the story doesn't narrate what Joseph experienced on the way to Egypt. It kind of picks up back in Egypt. But the distance from where he was captured to where Egypt was was a little over 300 miles. So he had 300 miles to think about, wow, my, my family really doesn't like me. I've, I've just been betrayed. He had 300 miles to wonder, does God really have a plan for me? 300 miles to wonder, what is slave life going to be like in Egypt? 300 miles in that headspace has got to be tormenting. There's got to be a lot of suffering in that. Now, I remember back four to five years ago, I was uh, at a campus devotional out in Santa Barbara, and my dad had texted me, hey, call me, it's important. So I stepped to the side, picked up the phone, and, and he let me know that my grandpa had passed away. 
And I remember driving from Santa Barbara to Santa Clarita and just two hours of not being able to do anything but think was horrible. It's like, okay, I just got to go and pray. But you're just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And sometimes, you know what? We get in suffering and we do what? We're thinking and we're thinking and we're thinking. Where at phase one of suffering, there's a lot of you're in this headspace that's just tormenting. And we've all experienced it. This was, this was the map that, that Joseph had to take. But I wanted to ask you guys, what deserts are you going through right now? What are the things that you're thinking about on a day-to-day basis? What suffering have you experienced? And, you know, we learn a lot by the way that we respond in these times of suffering. We can only assume what Joseph did on on this 300-mile walk because it doesn't actually tell us. I don't know if he prayed. I don't know if he talked to the other guys. I just know that's a long way to go. And it picks up in 39 verse 2, and it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his, I think it says master. But, you know, God was with Joseph in Egypt. Now, it doesn't narrate what happened on the walk, but, you know, we don't serve a God that's, hey, I'm going to let you suffer and I'll meet you later. I bet that God walked through the desert with Joseph. And just like that picture that had the two sets of footprints, when we're going through our challenges, God's right there. When we're having difficult times, God is right there. God had placed Joseph in in a pretty sweet situation. Um, He got to to be a slave in in the house of Potiphar, but Potiphar had taken note that Joseph, that God was with Joseph, and he placed them as head of everything in the household. So he actually ended up in a pretty good situation until Potiphar's wife tries to convince Joseph to sleep with her. After he continually refuses, she frames him for rape. And then Potiphar has him thrown into prison. Which brings us to point number two. God's gifts offer hope for all. And so now he's in prison, but the warden of the prison has taken note, okay, God is with this guy, so I'm going to put Joseph in charge of all the other inmates. And so it's like, an up and down roller coaster. I'm sold off, but I got into a good situation. Now I'm wrongly accused and thrown into prison. But then he, he finds favor even in prison. And that's where we pick it up in, in Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 1. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody 
with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters uh, ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. You know, the the baker hears this and goes up. He's like, oh, what's my dream mean? And he's like, oh, you're going to die. But the cupbearer gets set free, goes to Potiphar and forgets. Like forgets to, or goes to the Pharaoh and, and forgets about Joseph. Doesn't say, oh, yeah, this guy interpreted my dream. And it's like Joseph has to spend another two years in prison. Where it's like, at this point, you feel like this guy can't catch a break, right? You ever feel like you're going through your suffering, and it's kind of, it's one thing after another. It's another wave. It's more discouragement. And God's with me, but what good is it if God's with me? Because he's just with me in a prison. But, you know, at some point, I, be, I began to wonder, why, why does Joseph keep interpreting dreams? It's only gotten him in trouble, right? It only gave the cupbearer a sense of hope. But what did interpreting dreams do for Joseph? And you know what? I think Joseph, he just got it. He knew that the interpretations were not his. They belonged to God. Interpreting dreams wasn't Joseph's skill. It was God's gift. You know, we have a talented room of people. And we have a lot of gifts in this room. But it's up to us to share our gifts even in a time of suffering. Because it's what God has intended to do. You know, there's a difference between being entitled to your gift and taking ownership. Being entitled to your gift is waiting for an opportunity that your gift will benefit yourself. Ownership is freely giving out your gift, no matter the circumstances, so that other people may be lifted up. God doesn't give gift to the individual to benefit the individual. He's given our gifts accordingly to build each other up. And I think Joseph just got that. He knew this is not my skill. God has given me this. Who am I to reserve the right to use what, is, what God has given me? Later on, and we'll talk about it, this ends up saving many people. When we use our gifts, even in the deepest sorrow and suffering, God will save people. This is the church van. It does this thing. It's pretty funny. Sometimes it starts. Sometimes it doesn't. This was actually in my notes. And I had put this up 
And I brought the van to church, and I was going to go park it, and it wasn't starting this morning. And you know what? Every time it doesn't start, okay, what do I do? I call Dave Chittum. Dave Chittum always, if he can't come, he said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I'll be there in an hour. I'll be there in five minutes. He comes so happy, I wonder if he's glad the van's broken. But he's just happy to use his gift. He gets the hood out, pulls out all his equipment, starts testing everything, and he's just giving. And he's like, hey, how's, how's your day? How are you doing? And he's just enjoying it. It doesn't, doesn't feel like, oh, this was some kind of burden. The van's broken again. And it's like I, I look up to Dave so much because it's like I want to imitate that heart. That when, that when people need help from me, I hope they don't feel, oh, okay. But no, this is, this is God's gift, and this is the time for me to use it. You know, you could throw Joseph in prison, but you couldn't imprison his gifts. Sometimes we're in suffering, and we lock our gifts up. But we have to have the ability to give when we feel like we can't. God used it. In the, just, in the uh, prison cell, God was with Joseph and did incredible things because he kept on giving. After two years of waiting in prison, Pharaoh had a dream that deeply troubled him. He told his dream to magicians and wise men, but no one could interpret it. So then the cupbearer goes, oh, yeah. You know what? There was a guy two years ago that interpreted my dream. Like he just suddenly remembered. And they, they, call, they call Joseph over, and I, I wonder if the cupbearer and Joseph made eye contact, and if there's that, like, really, bro? Like, two years? Like, what made you remember? Like, what's going on? But he goes, and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph goes, okay, all right, all right. This means you're going to have the next, the next seven years of harvest will be abundant followed by seven years of severe famine. And then he comes up with this system. He comes up with a plan to save up the harvest the next seven years so that the following seven, they have resources. Pharaoh loves the idea so much, he goes, okay, you're in charge of all of Egypt. And so now, being sold as a slave and walking 300 miles, thrown into prison, and now you're like ruling over all of Egypt. Like God has a real funny way of working, but he probably would have never guessed that when he was sitting in prison. And that brings me to my third and final point. God's plan is greater than our suffering. While Joseph is overseeing the distribution of the food, his brothers come and travel to Egypt because they're also in a famine. The brothers don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. And they actually, the brothers make a second trip out, and through a series of interactions with the brothers and a series of questions of the brothers, Joseph gets to this point where he's ready to reveal himself to his brothers and show, hey, I'm still alive. I'm ruling over all of Egypt. And there's really just all this buildup. All this suffering has led to this moment. And you wonder, how is Joseph going to approach this? In Genesis chapter 45, 
in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. You know what? This is it. Joseph has a decision to make. And you know what the world tells you to do with this decision? This is your moment, Joseph. Get your revenge. Tell him about how far you had to walk. Tell him about the prison. Tell him all your suffering, that you were wrongly accused, that they sold you. Exercise your authority. Give it to him. That's not what Joseph does. It continues in verse 3 and says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You know, this would have been a great opportunity for Joseph to air out his feelings. What's, what does he address? He addresses the brother's feelings. Hey, don't be distressed. Don't be angry. He doesn't even go, I'm angry, but it's okay. He, he takes an opportunity to address how they feel. Like, hey, guys, I understand you sold me, but like, hey, hey, it's okay. And you wonder, how does a man get to that place? After being abandoned and experiencing all that, how do you get to a place where, hey, it's, it's okay, don't be angry? Because he knew that God sent him. When we're in tune with God's plan, the suffering doesn't disappear. We're not emotionless. It says he wept. But when we're in tune with God's plan, the good that is going on is so magnified that when we look at the suffering that's still there and present, because that never really goes away, we know, okay, it, it was worth it. God was doing something even greater But when we're in our suffering, we have to have the faith that God is doing something even greater. The way he he treated his brothers in that moment is really a template for the way we need to interact with each other. The grace and the love that he had. You know, I wanted to share one more story about my, my brother as my brother was, was growing up, like I shared, he had continued to experience many unfavorable sets of circumstances that were less than ideal because of lack of communication. And there was even one point in uh, middle school where uh, a, a few teachers told my, my parents, your son will, will probably never graduate high school, and he will definitely never go to college. And that was because he was having challenges in writing and in English class. As you can imagine, if you can't hear the words, you don't know if things don't sound right grammatically. So it presented a lot of challenges 
But my brother's a very bright guy. He was excelling in all of the other areas. My brother goes on to graduate high school. He goes on to get his bachelor's degree. Then he's getting his master's degree in counseling. And in his cohort, with his interpreter there, starts inviting people to church. He's telling the interpreter, hey, invite that person to church. You should come to my church. It's really awesome. And this starts going on. And you know what? The professor catches wind and pulls him aside after one of the classes and says, hey, I don't believe in God. You can't do that here. The, the classroom is not the appropriate setting to be asking people to go to church. And as he's having that conversation, a student comes up and says, hey, I heard you're inviting people to church. Can you tell me more? <laughs> my brother was deaf but had the loudest voice in the room. And you know what? It's because he had experienced so much that sharing his faith is just not scary. But you know what? God has put us through so much suffering at times, but for a reason that we may save other people. Joseph was denied by family, sold into slavery, walked through the desert, thrown in jail. And because of it, many were saved. For Joseph, his brothers threw his life away. He turned around and saved theirs. It kind of describes our relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? We threw away his life by sinning, and what did he do? He turned around and saved ours. But we too can know that when we're going through times of suffering, it's okay. There is a greater purpose on the back end that is going to result great and amazing things in God's name. Let's remember that God walks with us through suffering. Our gifts serve as hope for other people. And that God's plan is always, always greater than the suffering. Let's go ahead and stand for one final song.